Mark, and we're going to continue to do that this morning by looking at Mark chapter 2. So I'd like to invite you to take your Bible out. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can look it up on your phone, or else there's a Bible in the chair there. We're going to look at a couple of stories from Mark chapter 2. I had a specific conversation with two different individuals this past week, and the conversation was about dwelling in the Word and what that did. And both of these individuals said something like, when I spent time looking at God's Word in the Gospels, it caused me to love Jesus more, which was so great to hear because one of our theories was that as we dwell in God's Word, that Word dwells in us and it starts to shape us, and one way that it shapes us is it rekindles or reignites our first love for Jesus. And that's what I hope happens as we hear God's word today. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus came again, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get To Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. One thing that I've seen over and over again as I've been dwelling in Matthew and Mark, Jesus could draw a crowd. And if you actually look for that particular word in the Gospels, we see that more than a hundred times there's some description of this crowd that came to Jesus. I'm going to give you just a few. Matthew 4.25, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed Jesus. Matthew 5.1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came around him and he began to teach them. 
Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Matthew 8, 1. When Jesus came down from the mountaintop, large crowds followed him. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. The crowd was amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened, they said. A large crowd followed and he heard and he healed all who were ill. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they laid him at his feet and he healed them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road with other cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the ground. The crowds went ahead of him and they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus could draw a crowd. And as I'm dwelling in these passages, I'm starting to wonder, how did he do that? What did he do? And I did a little research about how we draw crowds today, and I came across the four C's of modern-day crowd building. And I guess these are particularly effective if you're at a conference or trade show. Would you like to guess what the four C's are to get a crowd? Celebrities is the first one. Or if you're on the low budget, former celebrities. Okay, that's one C. Can you think of the others? Coffee. I didn't see that one. But there was candy um, or other giveaways, but coffee or candy. Okay, yep. Another one? Surprisingly, clowns. Clowns on stilts. Eh, Try it sometime. See what happens, I guess. And the last one was comedy. You should have fun. If you want to if you, want to, if you have happy feet, I guess, that helps people come around you, I guess. Jesus didn't use any of these uh, four C's for crowd building, as best we can tell, but yet he drew a crowd. So I was wondering this week as I was looking at these passages, what happened? Or another way to say that, maybe in contemporary language, would be, you know, uh, when Jesus was in the house, there was a crowd. And why would that happen? We're going to look at, take a quick look at Mark 2 and see if we can figure out the answer to that question. So, Mark 2 said, a few days later, when Jesus was again in Capernaum, the people heard that he was there, and they came home, that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof, and they lowered him down on his mat. So maybe you've heard this story before. Jesus is in the house and the crowd has come, and they have pressed in. The crowd is so big, they don't fit in the house. This man wants to get to him, but he can't because the crowds are so thick. The crowds press in, and if you take a look at these crowds that come around Jesus, we notice that there's kind of a certain kind of crowd that comes around him. The people who come closest to Jesus are the outcasts, the broken, the poor, the sick, the deformed, the foreigners, prostitutes. These are the kinds of people who are closest to Jesus. They press in. Religious leaders, the respectable, the power brokers in the community, they're part of the crowd, but they're on the edges. They're on the fringe. They don't come in close. They don't press in. In the middle of the crowd are people that are most usually described as sinners. The sinners 
are pressing in close to Jesus. This fascinates me. I'm wondering why that would be the case. I'm tempted to think that the reason this is happening is because Jesus has been performing so many miraculous deeds. Certainly that would draw a crowd. It's not one of the four C's, but it's great, isn't it? If Jesus is performing miracles, if he's healing the sick, if the blind can see, if the deaf can hear, people will come see that. And then I'm tempted to think that if Jesus takes his opportunity with this crowd, the thing that he might want to do to continue to grow a bigger and bigger crowd is do more and more miraculous things. If he keeps pumping out the miracles, the crowds are certain certain to grow. But that's not what's happening here in Mark chapter 2. Did you hear what he was doing? Verse 2, he says, he preached the word to them. He stopped doing miracles. He interrupted the miracles to preach to them, which then raised the question for me, what's he telling them? What is the message that Jesus is giving to them? And we don't know exactly in this case what Jesus was preaching, but it's a pretty sure bet he was preaching the same thing he always preached. So he's probably saying to these people something about the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come near. He's probably saying something like this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the message that Jesus always brought. No doubt he's sharing this to these people and they are packed in, pressing in to hear it. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. As they're gathered in this house, suddenly dirt starts to fall on everyone's heads. First a little dusting, and then maybe chunks of the roof start falling down on these people. It's a big disruption. Four men are up there on the roof digging a hole through the roof, clawing through the timbers and the thatch. They want to get their friend closer to Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. They couldn't squeeze through the crowd, so now they're going to lower him down in front of Jesus. They rip a hole in the roof in order to get their friend closer to Jesus. Just think about that picture. They wanted to get their friend closer to Jesus. They press in. They want healing for their friend. They have high hopes. They hope that this man who has spent his life lying on his back will be able to get up and walk again. They imagine that if they can get their friend close enough to Jesus, his lame feet will do a happy dance. That's what they're imagining. If we can just get him there. They want something better for their friend, which is a huge tribute to their faith, by the way, because they lived in a world in which this was not the normal expectation. In this day, if you were sick, you had it coming. If you were lame or blind or deaf, you did something to deserve it. You're cursed for a reason. Brokenness in that day was always thought to be the consequence of disobedience. So if you have some trouble or some trial or some tragedy or some brokenness, the next question we ask is, what did you do to deserve that? Jesus' own disciples asked this question. Remember the day they're walking down the road, they see the man born blind. First question that pops in their head Who sinned, this man or his parents? Why is there a problem here? Because someone did something wrong. This is the question that everyone was asking. But these four men who were about to lower this man down in front of Jesus were not asking that question. They were imagining something different. They were imagining that this man could be healed, that this man could be made well. They imagined something different instead of imagining a curse 
they imagined a blessing. And they thought that if they could get close to Jesus, he would get a blessing. That's what they imagined. You know, this is what sinners hope for. I think this is what everybody hopes for, right? Nobody wants to be cursed. Anybody here want to be cursed? Nobody wants to be cursed. Nobody wants to be blind or lame or deaf. Nobody wants to be addicted or angry or mean or broken. Nobody wants that. People want to dance. People want to celebrate. They want to laugh. They want to eat. People want forgiveness. People want to be close to Jesus. This is what people want. Sinners want to be close to Jesus. That's an amazing picture. The story that comes right after the healing of this lame man is about Jesus calling Matthew as a disciple. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, this was a whole other category of sinner in that day. I mean, we don't like tax collectors now, but they really didn't like tax collectors then. Tax collectors were like cheaters and fraud. They would use whatever power they could leverage to try to get the taxes paid, and then whatever they could skim off the top, that was theirs to keep. Nobody liked the tax collectors. They were always labeled sinners every time you see a tax collector. And Matthew was a tax collector, and he was surrounded by other tax collectors. Jesus comes to Matthew and says, hey, come follow me, be my disciple. And Matthew does. The first thing recorded about Matthew's response to following Jesus was this. He invited all of his tax-collecting buddies and sinners to come over to his house for dinner with Jesus. That's the first thing he did. Come, you sinners, come eat with Jesus. And they wanted to. The house is filled with people pressing in, eating with Jesus. This is unbelievable on one level, but not on another, because you know what? Sinners press in. Sinners want to dance. Sinners want to eat with Jesus. Religious people, they complain. They're on the fringes. They're on the edges. They're not happy. The sinners are all happy in the middle, coming close to Jesus. As I've been dwelling in Matthew and now in Mark, one thing has caught my eye uh, repeatedly, in addition to the crowds and how often that comes up, um, compassion comes up constantly. And there's always the same reaction Jesus gives to these crowds, to these sinners. The reaction is always the same, and it comes off something like this. Jesus' response was always described as, he was filled with compassion. He was touched. Every time he saw these crowds, every time he saw these sinners, he was filled with compassion. Jesus loves sinners. And this compassion, this love for sinners, then leads Jesus to say some amazing things, some kind of strange things sometimes, but amazing things. This compassion leads Jesus to say things like, take up your mat and walk. This compassion leads Jesus to say, come and eat with me. Come sit down at the table. Come sit up on my lap. It leads Jesus to say, you are mine, you belong to me. It leads Jesus to say, fear not. It leads Jesus to say, you're my sons, you're my daughters. It leads Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. These are the kinds of things Jesus says to these people as they're pressing in, these sinners as they're pressing in. I love you and you're mine and I forgive you. Thinking about the story of the lame man and the story of Jesus eating with the sinners made me dwell in this question for a while. And the question was, 
Am I pressing into Jesus? How close do I get to Jesus? Am I one of those who wants to be right next to him? Or am I in the crowd? Or am I on the fringes of the crowd? Where am I? Where is my love for Jesus? Do I want to come close to him? And I want you to think about this question for just a moment. So I've got some pictures and I've got some helpers out there right now who are going to help me pass these out. I don't know that I have enough for everyone, but if you share them, maybe one for every couple people, um, take a look at these pictures. The pictures are of two things. The first picture is a picture of Jesus and the paralyzed man. And the other side of the card is a picture of Jesus having dinner with sinners. Okay? This is one artist's imagination about what it might have looked like for Jesus and the paralyzed man and Jesus uh, having dinner with the sinners. Your first task is to kind of look at both pictures briefly and then pick one. Do you want to think about the man, uh, the paralyzed man meeting Jesus or the, the dinner? Pick one and then just look at it for a few moments. The first question is the most obvious question. It is, can you find Jesus in the picture? The artist made that pretty clear on both of them. You know which character is Jesus. And then kind of look at the other characters that are around him. See if you can imagine what those characters who are around Jesus might be thinking or feeling or experiencing as they're near Jesus. Now, the first payoff question is, where are you in this picture? How close to Jesus are you in this picture? And once you think you kind of located yourself in the picture, the big payoff question is, what does Jesus want to say to you? Whether you're near to Jesus, right next to him, as close as you could possibly be, or whether you're out on the very far edges or the fringe of the picture and far off from Jesus, wherever you're at, you know what I know? Jesus wants to say something to you and it has something to do with just how much he loves you. And that's what I've been hearing as I've been dwelling in the word. As we get ready to come and draw near to Jesus through participating in his supper, um, we're going to do a little bit of self-examination, have a little moment of confession And so uh, you can continue to meditate on your picture and your place and your relative position next to Jesus, but also join me as I lead us through this time of prayer. So let's bow in prayer together. God, we bow before you and we recognize that um, you have made us and we are yours. You love us with an everlasting love and you have revealed that to us time and time again. And God, We confess that oftentimes we are like the prodigal who goes to a far country, that we do not come as close to you as we ought, 
that we find some distance in our relationship. And God, I recognize in this moment, it's not because you've gone anywhere, it's because we have walked away from you. God, we want to take a few moments in silence to confess those times and those places, even in this past week, when we have not come close to you, when we have walked away. And God, after we confess, we also then come to claim your promise to hear your good news, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you once again make it possible for us to draw near, and we would like to draw near to you right now in Jesus' name.